stand up and share God's word with you this morning, something I'm really looking forward to. I love the Bible, and I hope you do as well, and uh, I hope you will, with me, enjoy looking at God's word together. I was trying to find a title for what I was going to say today, um, and uh, uh, wrote a few things down and then crossed them out, and finally I decided that what I was really saying was this, it's a modern Uh, not a modern um, uh, saying, but one that you will all know. And this is my title. He who hesitates is lost. He who hesitates is lost. Now, that's a well-known proverb. It's not from the Bible, by the way. Um, But we all know what that means. Um, If you ignore an offer, then you will lose an opportunity. I mean, to take a trivial example, if you go into a certain supermarket and you see an offer, buy one, get one free, then you might decide that if you wait till next week, that offer will have ended. And it might be a good idea to get hold of that offer today. If you hesitate, you will lose out. Anyway, that's just a trivial example of what I want to say. I want to tell you a story, um, a true story, actually, of my school days, which did occur in the past a long, long time ago. When I was at school, we had to wear uniform, as most schools do nowadays, and that included a school cap. Now, I have a school cap with me, and I'll get it. Here we are. Um, this, this actually isn't my school cap. Um, it's another school. I'll, I'll just put it on. Uh, there we are. <laughs> uh, better on or off? <laughs> Probably on, I don't know. <laughs> Not, no, it actually fits me. Um, anyway, this is important in what I'm going to say. A school cap. Now, in my school, that cap during school term had to be worn outside the school uh, during all school hours when we were in uniform. And impromptu uniform checks were carried out and penalties imposed for non-observance. So if you got to the school gates and you weren't properly dressed and you didn't have your cap, you'd get a drill or a detention straight off because the school prefects were there waiting for you. You didn't know when they were going to be there. Um, It's a little bit like turning up on the platform at the station and suddenly you find that uh, Greater Anglia staff are there waiting for you. But you wouldn't know anything about that because you've always got tickets because I know you're very honest. That's the first thing, the school cap. Well, the second thing is that every boy of the 1,000 boys was required to pass the school swimming test. That was three lengths of the outside pool. Now, I know you're thinking about Costa Blanca and blue skies and infinity pools. Okay, so think rather of this year 1960 concrete, chlorine, and cold, and English weather, of course. So the school used various methods to encourage us. Firstly, compulsory swimming lessons two to three times a week. So in in a sport-mad school that we were in, they added swimming lessons as well, so there we are, 
um, out to the outdoor pool, get changed, and jump in. Now, that's the theory anyway. The second encouragement, and I'm talking about encouragement at the moment, the second encouragement meted out was that all non-swimmers, all boys that couldn't swim a stroke up to those that hadn't passed the school swimming test, had to have a white button sewn onto the top of their school cap. So there's the school cap, and you had to have a white button on there. And it was absolutely... um, There was no getting out of this. You had to have it. And so every non-swimmer, and don't forget you had your cap on, it was instantly uh, visible that you could not swim. So that was the first encouragement. There's a second one. The school were very good at this. The second persuasion came on a one-to-one basis. This is when the head of the school swimming team had me stand on the poolside on the deep end and suggested I jump in. Uh, This seemed a bad idea to me. It would have ruined the creases on my new swimming shorts. And I'd already had a bath at home that morning. And so he stood there, and I stood here, and we looked at the water. He looked at me, I looked at him. He made various sounds of encouragement, which got more and more, um, uh, let me say, I I won't repeat some of the things he said. And after about a couple of hours, I finally plucked up courage and jumped in, uh, and I'm still here. Well, time went on, and uh, a couple of years later, uh, the final encouragement came along. 300 boys trying to learn to swim, most of them not trying very hard. But the final 10 non-swimmers... I will never forget it. We were ordered to attend the pool at one o'clock when the high school girls were using it. And uh, we had a cadet force at the school and we had uh, an RSM, Regimental Sergeant Major. We had two at the school who used to walk around in army gear as well. And uh, they paraded us, us ten non-swimmers with our white buttons, they paraded us in front of the girls and uh, you can imagine that the girls thoroughly enjoyed that and made the most of it but that was the final straw at last I took the swimming seriously and I eventually passed the swimming test was it worth it was it worth it well yes because I'll put this down I learnt, first of all, a life skill. That's what we call it now, don't we? We call it a life skill. I learnt to swim. Off came the white button. Thank you. And I could hold my head high again. The humiliation of two or three years was no longer. It was all over. And so that was almost the end of the story, except this, that something else I realise now the horrible swimming instructors and the RSM and the army guys, they actually knew what was best for us. They were being cruel to be kind. And at the time, it all seemed very unpleasant and unnecessary and a bad idea. But actually, they were right. It was good to learn to swim. They knew best. 
But I want to go a further step today and say that God also knows what is best for us. And here is his offer. God has not offered to teach us to swim. But this morning, God has offered to save our souls. He's offered us forgiveness and eternal life. He's offered us his peace, presence, and guidance for life. And we need to take that offer seriously. And that's why this morning I want to read from the book of Hebrews. And if you have your church Bible, it's page 1201. If you have a Bible, church Bible 1201. And I just want to read a few verses here which I'm going to talk about. And it's the letter to the Hebrews. And chapter 1 verse 1 says this. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets, in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. And he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. And then chapter 2, verse 1. For this reason we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away from it. For if the word spoken through angels proved unalterable, and every transgression and disobedience received a just penalty, how will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? How will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation. Hebrews was written to men and women who had tasted the experience of God. They tasted God's grace and his goodness. But for different reasons, they'd become discouraged from following the Lord. And note verse 2 1 talks about drifting away, drifting away from the truth. Um, having learnt to swim, I obviously enjoyed holidays in the sun and the sea and sand. And uh, like many people in those days, I had a flotation advice, a flotation device, sorry, not advice, a flotation device, I think they called them. Of course, most people call them lilos, don't they? <laughs> You remember lilos? You remember blowing them up and they're covered in sand and then they blow away in the, in the wind, don't they? Um, but there's been a number of things happen with people on lilos, haven't there? Because people paddle out and, uh, and then they go and lie down on the lilo and they think, oh, isn't it glorious this holiday? And five minutes later, they're two miles out because the wind and the current has carried them way out to sea and suddenly there's a big panic and they've got to be rescued and fortunately, most of the time they are. But that's what happens when you do nothing. That's what happens when you do nothing. That's what happens when, when you just lie there and say, isn't it wonderful? There's nothing wrong with that. But it's an example of what happens, of how quickly you can drift away. One commentator has said, you do not need to be violently opposed to God's message to suffer loss. You only need to drift away from it. 
You only need to drift away from it. So this morning I want us to consider three persuasions, three encouragements to, to encourage us, to warn us even, to accept God's offer. And the first thing is this, that God in these last days has spoken to us in his Son. And the writer of Hebrews states that in former times, God spoke to people through prophets and priests and visions, dreams and supernatural interventions, storms and plagues. But now in the last days, through the life and the words of Jesus We are in the last days, but we've been in the last days since Jesus walked on the earth. But what does the Bible mean when it talks about the last days? Well, what it means is that no further revelation is going to come from God. If we ignore Jesus today, there's no other solution. There's no plan B. There's no back entrance into heaven. If I get to heaven and I find the doors locked, well... Maybe as I stand there pondering what to do next, um, somebody will come round the back of the building and say, come on, you know, and, and quickly push me through and into the back entrance. Well, that might happen in the theatre. It might happen in the office. It might happen into, into many public buildings. There's a back entrance. There's a staff entrance. There's another way in. But as far as God's concerned and as far as heaven's concerned, there's no plan B. There's no back entrance We have to come one way and one way only. And that way is this. It's through Jesus. Jesus declares, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And so God has spoken to us in these last days by his Son. He's spoken to us by the words of Jesus. But he's also spoken to us through the character of Jesus. Hebrews 1.3 says, Jesus is the exact representation of God's nature. In other words, what he's talking about is that God, if, if we've seen, as Jesus says, he that has seen me, says Jesus, has seen the Father. And that word means an exact duplication. Many, many years ago, um, before email, Uh, Can we imagine life without email? I don't know. But before email, before phones, before any of these other things, hundreds of years ago, people, sometimes people of more importance than everyday people, had a ring, a signet ring. And on that ring was um, a sign or something. And when they um, wrote a letter and sealed it with uh, a sealing wax then they could press that ring into it and it had their seal on it. So they had that exact representation of who it was on that letter. And that's what that word means. When we talk about Jesus being the exact representation of God, it means if you've seen Jesus, you've seen God. The character of God is in Christ. So first of all, Why should I take God seriously? First of all, because he's spoken to me. And he's not going to pop up somewhere and say something else some other time. He's spoken to us through this book and told us what to do. 
The swimming instructor said, Amos, you've got to learn to swim. And I could have turned around and said, no. Well, I, I did, actually. <laughs> but they made me do it. And seriously, God is saying, look, this is the way of salvation. Oh, no, it's not. Well, it is. And we've got to do it. Jesus Christ, number two. Jesus Christ is a supreme authority in the universe. Over all entities, Jesus is incomparable, unrivaled, and preeminent. In the days of the early church, some people worshipped angels, and they considered Jesus was merely an angel. But the Bible says Jesus is above all created beings. He's above all other gods. He's above all other sun gods, animal gods, Buddhas, etc. Instead, this is what God says of Jesus. And he says this. You, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain, and they all will become old like a garment, and like a mantle you will roll them up. But you are the same, and your years will not come to an end. God says, you're my son, your throne is forever, you laid the foundation of the earth, your years will not come to an end. And it's vital we are sure of that because... And this is what I really want to say this morning. Jesus alone can forgive our sins and give us eternal life. Why should I take God seriously? Because without him, I have no hope. I have no hope. The Bible says we were once, talking to Christians, it says we, you, Paul talking to the visions, he says you once were without God and without hope in the world. If I want eternal hope today... It's through him, the Lord Jesus. Long time ago, in the year 1678, in the village of Elstow near Bedford, John Bunyan finished writing a book called The Pilgrim's Progress. I don't know whether you've ever read The Pilgrim's Progress, although many people have heard about it. It's an allegory, a dream, describing the life of its main character, and his name was Pilgrim. As he lives at first a hedonistic life, then realise he's, he's a sinner, becomes converted, and his struggles and triumphs as he nears heaven's doors. But early on in the book, he's constantly talking about his burden that is on his back. And everybody he meets, he says, well, I'm okay, but I have this huge burden on my back. What's he talking about? Well, he was talking about the fact that he felt guilty. Somehow along the line in his life, he'd read something from the Bible and it had shown him that he was a sinner. Now, that word sinner, you know, we don't like to talk about sin and guilt and stuff. It, it seems a bit old-fashioned, but it's absolutely true. Many of us carry baggage, don't we? I include myself. We carry baggage. Things I regret seeing, saying and doing. People that I've fallen out with that I no longer speak to, habits that I know are wrong in my life, opportunities that I've missed forever, and we can do all things, sorts of things to try and make ourselves better and feel better about this. I remember my, my mother in her later years became a Christian, and uh, uh, she was probably about uh, my age when she became a Christian, bless her, uh, and the first thing that happened, she changed she become a she was a lady who who 
basically enjoyed life um, as, it, as it was for her then. And the first thing that happened was that she suddenly started to feel really guilty. And she went through this awful time of, of, of just realizing what sort of life she'd led. Now, she hadn't done anything very terrible, as far as I know. I'm sure she hadn't. But she just felt that the life she'd led had not been good. And I don't know whether there's anyone here this morning whether you feel like that. You feel a sense of guilt. And we carry this kind of baggage with us. So what can we do? Well, I've got two suggestions here. Go to the pub and drown your sorrows. Or I could go to the priest and tell him my sorrows. But then you have to say, well, what is a priest? Well, I googled it. And the Google says this, a priest is a religious leader who mediates between a human and God who administers rites of sacrifice to appease a deity. So you could go to a priest and he would listen to your life and you could say, oh, Father, I've sinned and I've done this and I've done that and I haven't done this and I haven't done that and I feel quite guilty. And the priest could pray for you and, and maybe help you. But you see, the Bible makes an even better offer to us. It tells us that Jesus Christ is the only effective priest. And that's what the book of Hebrews is saying all the time. Hebrews 10 verse 11 says this, every priest, that's normal, natural, human priests, every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But Jesus, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God. For by one offering, he's perfected for all time those who are sanctified. One sacrifice for all sins for all time. Hallelujah. That's very good news. It means Jesus, by one act, has delivered us from everything and anything that in our lives has been wrong. And the book of Hebrews goes on to say three things about the priesthood of Jesus. First of all, it's an effective priesthood. He's an effective priest. In other words, if you go to a priest or you go to a minister in the church, he can pray for you and say, well, give you advice and just pray. But when Jesus says he's a priest, he means that he made an offering of himself. Why is the value of Jesus so great? Because he's the son of God. And because he's the son of God, the very son of God gave himself to die on the cross that is a sufficient, full, and effective remedy for anything you have ever done. Anything. He's an effective priest. Secondly, he's a permanent priest. Hebrews 7.24 says he's a priest that will never die. Where is Jesus today? He's in heaven, praying for us. The Bible says he's in heaven, praying for us. He will never die. You can't knock on the doors where the priest is and find, well, I'm sorry, he passed away a few days ago. Oh dear, what shall I do now? That's never going to happen. He's there, available today, anytime. 
Thirdly, Christ is a sympathising priest. Hebrews 4 says this, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathise with our weaknesses, but one who's been tempted in all things as we are. Therefore let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Christ isn't above us in the sense that he can't understand us. The Lord is somebody that understands us utterly. He has been, in a sense, where we have been. Jesus walked this earth. Jesus lived the life we live. He knows what pain is. If you're going to die on the cross, you will know what pain is. He knows what it is to be disliked because so many people hated him and threatened him and scourged him. He knows what it is to be misunderstood. He knows what it is to be alone. Father, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Those are the words of somebody who feels alone. Do you feel alone? Well, he felt alone. Do you feel under pressure? The Son of God felt under pressure. Do you feel tired? The Son of God felt tired. All these things. So when we think about Jesus today, we're not talking in a sense about someone that's afar off. We're talking about somebody who longs to get a hold of us and empathize with us. He is the best friend we can ever have. In the front page of my Bible, I've got that wonderful hymn. There it is. It's stuck on my Bible. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. And I've got it stuck to my Bible because it's true. He's available to you now. As you are, however you feel, he's here today in this building. And you can come to him and find his forgiveness. You can find his an effective permanent and sympathizing priest so I just want to draw all this to a close this morning I believe there's here a message for you if you are a Christian and also if you've never become a Christian if you've never become a Christian and you're an unbeliever are you going to be like the person who had the opportunity but refused to learn to swim I told you about my struggles with swimming. But two or three years after I learned to swim, I had an accident. I fell out of a boat into deep water. The ropes in the... I will never forget this. The ropes that were in the sailing boat were were tangled around my legs. And I I thought, this is it. I'm, I'm in real trouble. But because I could swim, I got my feet clear eventually and swam to the shore. But talk about fear I'll tell you there is fear and there is fear but I'd learned to swim but are you going to be like the person who had the opportunity and never learnt and refused to learn are you going to say to God, to God this morning well you've made me an offer but nah well think about that accident Or are you a Christian this morning and you've begun a voyage with Christ? Are you going to drift away 
from your from what you've learnt? Are you going to just drift away like someone on a lilo and just let the current take it, take you wherever it will? I don't know. But the Bible says today we have to take God seriously. How will we escape if we neglect this salvation? I know in my own life there's been times when I've neglected it and God has said to me, hey, come on. You know, not quite like that. But he's, God said to me, come on, you know, pull yourself together and, and follow me. Well, just a couple of verses to finish with. Hebrews 11 that uh, David read, that uh, the famous figure of Moses, it said he chose rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Secondly, Hebrews 10.35, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. And finally, Hebrews 6.19, our hope in Christ, this hope we have as an anchor for the soul. You know what an anchor is, a ship has an anchor, and if it's drifting, and not in too terribly deep water, you can let down the anchor and it'll hold the boat steady. And it says we have the hope in Christ as an anchor for our souls. You know, it was worth it. It was worth it learning to swim. How much more, infinitely more, will it be worth learning to follow Christ? And I hope this morning that if you've never given your heart to Jesus, do so today. Do so today while... The opportunity is there while the offer is there. If this morning, like me at times, you have slipped along and drifted along really, maybe God is saying to you today, look, you need to come back to the Lord and rededicate your life to him, re-energize your life and go and follow him more closely. Amen. Shall we pray? Father, Lord, we just thank you for the Bible. Lord, there are things in the Bible that are hard to understand. There are things in the Bible that often we find uh, are truths which hit home to us. Lord, I pray today that you'll help us to not neglect our salvation, uh, not drift around with the world, but Lord, to take up your offer, to take up the opportunity we have today to give our life to you and to follow you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.